It has been a delight over the years uh, to uh, get to watch Crossway uh, grow uh, from uh, new church, young church, even church plant uh, into a mature and healthy church. So grateful for uh, the families who have invested uh, directly, personally, relationally uh, in the Pitsleys, and, uh, and we, we count this uh, church as a home, we count you guys as family. Um, we're so grateful uh, that to have you as, uh, as gospel partners. As uh, Mark mentioned, I am a pastor, uh, one of the elders at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, one of my main roles there, and the reason that I was sent from the United States to Kenya, is to train uh, men for ministry. Uh, this last year, I was able to teach uh, a year of Hebrew and pastoral theology. We don't uh, have a lot of liberty to specialize uh, over there, so uh, we get a breadth of things to teach. But I love it, and the Lord has been kind, uh, and I feel like the, the ministry there is such a good fit for us, and, and uh, the work there is so critical, uh, so important, and, and uh, we pray that the Lord would glorify the name of Christ through us and through the partnership we have uh, with, with this church. Uh, the, the verse that I'd like to look at this morning, uh, just one verse really, although we'll bring up many others as we, um, as we seek to understand the meaning and application of this text. The verse is verse 3, Proverbs 22, verse 3. I'm reading from the New International Version. I, was, I, I know that ESV is the typical one here, and I thought about switching to uh, the, the ESV, but this is what we've memorized as a family, and uh, fatherly exhortations are usually coming in the words of uh, the New International Version here. So, my, uh, so I, I knew that throughout the sermon I was just going to be saying the NIV, even if I, even if I read the ESV to begin with, so decided to just go ahead and go with the, the NIV here. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple keep going and pay the penalty. Now, what we have here is uh, seven words in Hebrew. I summarize them in four uh, uh, English words, five English words. Watch out or pay up. Watch out or pay up. And this is, uh, uh, a, as we will see, uh, a proverb of very wide application. As we were uh, sitting at breakfast with uh, Tom and Emily Carpenter uh, uh, yesterday morning, I saw my son uh, put raspberries um, for the waffles right at the edge of the table. And I think maybe Emily's uh, uh, vocational training, uh, the job that she's in, and maybe the Lord getting her ready to have boys immediately moved the, uh, the raspberries to the center of the table. In fact, that was, as, as we had little ones, that was one way that we could always tell uh, a waiter or a waitress was experienced. They came to the table and set the table within reach of our little ones. And we knew that they were an inexperienced, imprudent uh, wait, uh, waiter or waitress. Because even before the waiter left the table, 
a mess, a disaster, a calamity was, was on the way. But those uh, experienced, it was usually the female uh, waitresses, uh, those who had some experience, had some prudence, were able to look ahead and put everything out of reach of uh, the, the youngest uh, kiddo. Let me give you a roadmap for our exploration of this proverb. Uh, we will talk first about the context that has begotten uh, this, uh, this verse, uh, this passage of, of Scripture. And then we'll talk about the wording, each one of those uh, seven words, and then we'll talk about some applications. We'll uh, think through the ways that the Spirit would have us apply these words to our lives. So let's start with, uh, with the context. Uh, one thing that I think we, we, many would know about the Bible, if they know anything about the book of Proverbs at all, is that it starts uh, with the words, Proverbs of Solomon. And so we associate these uh, these Proverbs, in a, in a Sunday school kind of way, with, with Solomon. And yet, Proverbs 25.1 uh, makes clear that King Hezekiah and his scribes actually contributed to the book as well. They took some Solomonic Proverbs that had not yet been incorporated into the book and added them to the book. And we have other authors as well, uh, Lemuel and Agur, uh, added there at the end, give us some, some more complicated, difficult proverbs to, uh, to chew on, things to, things to consider and things to think about, not as simple as some of the, the earlier proverbs. Uh, but what this establishes for us is the reminder that the book of Proverbs fits into a biblical storyline. The book of Proverbs itself was compiled and uh, it was published, so to speak, after Solomon had his colossal fall. So we have here, in many ways, the application of the law to Israel. And yet, just like you and me, when we're reading it, we're thinking, how did Solomon have all of this wisdom and yet fail so spectacularly? Well, that thought is a thought that actually fits in with how this book was included in the Bible. That thought that you're having about how Solomon has failed so spectacularly is a thought that we should bring to the table as we're reading the book of Proverbs. It's part of the historical context of this book. And what it reminds us of is that the, the Proverbs here and biblical wisdom in general reveal to us the goodness of God's ways and the twistedness of the human heart. If we were to take a look at the book of Proverbs from beginning to end, what we would see is a, a beautiful community of the people of God who have taken God's laws, and it has become, in the words of Deuteronomy, it has become for them their wisdom. What nation on earth, the book of Deuteronomy says, are like this people whose God dwells so closely with them, who speaks with them and reveals to them his ways. And when Solomon is contemplating God's ways and God's laws, he is granted wisdom, and it explodes into a book like this book of Proverbs. This, in, in a sense, 
uh, adorns the biblical worldview with beauty, and yet it also stands as a rebuke to us. It stands as uh, to us a revelation of the darkness of our own hearts because we don't follow these ways. We fall short just as uh, Solomon himself did. So with, within the course of, of the biblical history, the book of Proverbs stands as a reminder, a revelation of God's holy and just and good standard. One way that this book can be used to train children is to remind them that God's ways are good. That you, you really, if you have your head on straight, if you are wise, if you are prudent, you will want to follow God's ways. And yet we're not. We're not wise. We're not prudent. We stray from God's ways. So this points us uh, again and again to our shortcomings and the need for another son of David to come to liberate us from our own foolishness. The book of Colossians says, in him that is in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and insight. He was one who was greater than Solomon, one who always lived according to true biblical wisdom. And in union with him, we can be free from our imprudence and freed from our folly and foolishness. This book also teaches us much about the Christian view of the world. Uh, the book of Proverbs starts by saying that the foundation, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Knowledge, the beginning of knowledge is the, is the fear of the Lord. How does, how does that work? Well, one of the ways that it works is in a passage like this, the prudent see danger and take refuge. What does that depend on? What that depends on is that the, that the past is a reliable guide to the future, that there's some way that we can look ahead on the road of this life and see danger and take refuge. There's a predictability about normal life. Maybe you've never thought about it like this. But it is actually the foundation of all scientific endeavor, that the past is a reliable guide to the future. Uh, perhaps you're here uh, this morning and uh, you're wondering about the Christian faith. You're not sure if you want to embrace it uh, for yourself. And you wonder if a book like this really has anything to speak of to a world that is, is so modern, so based on science. And yet, all scientific endeavor rests on the maxim that you can perform an experiment and another experiment and another experiment and another experiment and eventually get to the point where you can make a prediction about what's going to happen next, a, a hypothesis. The scientific method depends on the past being a reliable guide to the future. Where does that come from? Does your science prove that that's going to be the case? No, it has to actually assume it. Any experiment that you're going to do to prove that the past is a reliable guide to the future actually depends on the fact that the past is a reliable guide to the future. So where does it come from? 
It comes from the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It comes from recognizing that our God is in charge, and he is a faithful God, a God who delights to see the sun rise and the sun set at the same moment all day. It's happening. You know, the sun is setting right now somewhere in the, in the world. And not just in our world, but in countless worlds, our faithful God is keeping the globe spinning and keeping the the revolution of the planets around all of the suns of all of the galaxies of the universe. And it's that faithful, reliable God who gives us this wisdom, who allows us and tells us to look ahead. How can we do so? How can we look ahead? Because God's got this world under control. It's his world. And his wisdom is the, is the guide that built the house of this universe. And so with this worldview, we are able to establish that secularism is utter foolishness. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 make clear it is the fool who has said in his heart that there is no God. And if you're here and you're wondering about, uh, about the Christian faith, I just encourage you to consider on what foundation does your view of the world rest? Because God is reliable, prudence is possible. And the book of Proverbs sets up that expectation. This book was uh, revealed during a certain time and place in the history of, in the, history of the world. In fact, scholars have uh, looked around to consider the timing of, of the writing of this book and comparing it with things that Israel's ancient neighbors were, were writing. And there's actually some very close parallels uh, between what we see in Egypt and what we, see in, uh, what we see in the book of Proverbs. Interestingly, where this book resembles uh, the Egyptian wisdom the most is actually where the name Yahweh comes up. So they replaced, um, they replaced Yahweh's wisdom with their own uh, wisdom. While others, unbelievers, take advantage of a simple proverb like this, watch out or pay up, yet it, it, it particularly belongs to believers, to those who have submitted their lives to the fear of the Lord, to those for whom all nature and all history bow their heads to God. That is the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. One more note about the context of, of, this, uh, of this verse, it does actually occur almost letter for letter in Proverbs 27, 12. Uh, so it occurs in an entirely different context within the book of, of Proverbs. I think there's actually just one consonant different uh, in the original language, Proverbs 27, 12. And you, it, comparing translations or comparing uh, sections of the book of Proverbs, you probably won't even be able to tell the difference between the two Proverbs in English. It's almost uh, identical to the very letter, uh, the same proverb. What does this teach us? Well, it teaches us that it's important, right? If the Lord, 
if the Lord repeated a proverb, and there aren't many repeated proverbs in this book of Proverbs, if the Lord repeated one, we should pay attention to it. And it also teaches us that this proverb is intended to have a very wide application. Whatever the, whatever the author was doing here in chapter 22, it's not exactly the same as what he's doing in, in chapter 27, and yet the same proverb fits in two different contexts. In fact, this proverb fits in many different contexts, and we'll see that as we look at the individual words of, of this passage. As I mentioned, there's seven Hebrew words. This gives you just an idea of how, uh, how challenging translation can be. If you're rendering seven, seven uh, Hebrew words into English, we take something like 20 words, uh, depending on the translation that you're using. And that's, that's a literal, close, formal translation. Uh, and yet we've got seven words here. So let's, let's dive into these, uh, these words. First, prudent. The prudent. Uh, this is a word that uh, is used in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if I say crafty, like the craftiest critter in the garden, uh, it's actually this, this same word. Very broad word, right? Really broad word, if it includes uh, even, the, even the serpent in the garden. Uh, yet, if we're, looking at this, if we're looking at this word in its positive sense, this verse is really the definition verse. This verse tells us what prudence is. What is prudence? It's seeing danger and taking refuge. That, that's really what we're talking about when the book of Proverbs has prudence. It is talking about seeing danger and uh, taking refuge. Uh, the next word is this verb, see. The prudent have eyes in their head, and their eyes are open. This is a critical part of, of training uh, children, just to keep their eyes open for the world around them. Uh, if, I, if I think back to my own uh, childhood days, I remember getting stuck sometimes watching Tom and Jerry on, on TV. I don't know if you like Tom and Jerry. Usually I would watch Tom and Jerry only because... It was the only thing I could find that I was even remotely interested in. And in the course of, you know, a 25-minute show, whatever it was, uh, generally speaking, at some point, Tom would be chasing Jerry, and he's got his eyes on the prize, right? Like, all he can think about is this little snack uh, that's running away from him and causing him so much trouble. And he's got his eyes on Jerry and his eyes on Jerry, and he turns turns a corner and runs into a garden hoe or a rake, and it flips up and smacks him in the face, and before he can, uh, before he can recover from his dizziness and frustration, uh, Jerry has, has made his way out uh, of, of harm's way. The prudent look where they are going. They see. They keep their eyes open. And what do they see? In this verse, they see danger. One of the reasons that the usefulness of this proverb is so broad is actually the breadth of this word uh, that's translated here, danger, can be translated as calamity or disaster or evil or bad. 
This is a very broad, uh, very broad word, and application for this can come in all, uh, all sorts of forms. The center word. If you have a seven-word proverb, that means there's one word that takes the middle place. And for the Hebrew mind, this is the most important and prized place, and it's the word refuge. The prudency danger, I think ESV says, and hides himself. Uh, this is the word that, uh, that is used in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3 is where uh, Moses finds the burning bush, right? So he's a shepherd, he's looking out, he sees this, uh, this bushy plant. Uh, we actually have the, the kind of plant that scholars say uh, in Nairobi, it, it grows very, uh, uh, very, very well, very frequently. We can find uh, this kind of plant. The scholars say this, the plant was uh, that Moses saw. He sees it's on fire. It's, it's, it's burning, but it's not burning up. It's not consumed, right? And so he's curious about it. He goes up to it, and the Lord speaks to him from the bush. And says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When, when Moses realizes what he has done in approaching this bush, he hides himself. It's the same, same word. He seeks refuge. He, he hides his face lest he see God and die. He's seeing danger and and hiding himself, and, and taking refuge. Another uh, related word is found in Psalm 32, verse 7. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 7 was something of a life verse for a lady whose name you might know, uh, Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And The Hiding Place refers to Psalm 32, verse 7, where the Lord is their hiding place. Now, the, the, wor the word, the phrase hiding place then doesn't actually refer to the place where they ingeniously hid Jews uh, during the time of the Holocaust. So they, uh, they were very brave in standing up to the Nazi regime and uh, Jewish refugees. They would hide. At one point, they were hiding them in a crawl space under the kitchen table. And yet, the book is not written about the ingenious place that they found to hide the, hide the, the Jewish refugees. It's the fact that the Lord was Corey Ten Boom's hiding place. There can be no greater refuge for the believer than the refuge found in God Himself. The fear of the Lord teaches us that God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and wickedness of men. But the fear of the Lord also teaches us there's nowhere to run but to God. Running away from him isn't going to get us anywhere. God is the greatest refuge. But yet, as we've said, the application of this proverb is very broad. We can take refuge in simply making simple plans. Uh, the, the plans of the diligent, Proverbs said, lead surely 
uh, to advantage. We can take simple actions, honest, hard work. And we'll, we'll talk about that in, in, uh, in just a moment. Some of the ways that we can apply this idea of taking refuge. Next word, word number five, if you're keeping track, simple. The simple keep going and pay the penalty. Proverbs 14, verse 5 says, The simple believe everything, but the prudent test the matter. Now, Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7 is an account of the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman is able to entrap a man, and this isn't necessarily gender-specific, like you could switch those two around and have and have the, the seduction going on from the, opposite, uh, from the opposite direction, but it's the simple one who falls for the trap and heads into the house of the adulterous woman, thinking that he's going to be okay. It's, go, it's okay to walk out there in the adulterous woman's neighborhood. It's okay to be out there at night. He's not seeing the danger. It's okay to go to this lady's house. Danger, run away, flee, like we see with uh, Joseph, running away from, from this danger, running away from adultery. But the simple just moves on ahead. They keep on going. Uh, the word for keep going here is a word that often is, is used in in. Uh, places of trespass or transgress, transgression. A line has been crossed. Trespassers will be prosecuted. Or if you come from Texas like me, transgressors will be shot and then prosecuted. <laughs> we, the simple person, sees, sees the danger or not. His eyes are open or not, but the, what characterizes his simplicity is that he keeps on going. And then he pays the penalty. He failed to watch up, and now he has to pay up. Uh, the word for penalty, suffer loss, suffer, uh, suffer pain, uh, is is a word that's used of, of a, uh, someone in Deuteronomy who has taken something that has belonged to someone else. He has to pay a penalty uh, for what he has, uh, for what he has uh, taken. Uh, so this is, this is a word that talks about unintended, perhaps unforeseen consequences. I teach our, our kids, you can, you can choose your actions but you can't choose your consequences. And the, the prudent will see the possibility of those unintended consequences and take refuge. So how are we going to bring this 2,500-year-old proverb into uh, today's life? As I said, the applications are legion. Uh, for your school life, you don't want to end up paying the penalty by studying at 3 a.m. for five days in a row because it's crunch time and cramming season. Well, work ahead. 
over, over the course of the semester. Take refuge in giving yourself some time to allow the material to soak in your head. Consult traffic reports before you leave. Uh, this is uh, critical in, in Nairobi. Um, this is an interesting uh, glimpse into Nairobi culture is that much of the population is confined to minibuses, matatus, is what they're called locally. And, so, and, and yet they have internet access, uh, so they can go on Twitter and find out which routes are going to end up clogged in traffic and which ones are actually going to get, their, get them to their destination on time. That's that principle at work. They're looking ahead. They're foreseeing danger. Which number Matatu route should I, uh, should I get on? Every sermon that you have ever heard, think about that. Every sermon that you have ever heard has had this fundamental principle lying in the background. Well, even, even if the sermon is dominated by positive instruction, even if there's a reward promised and not a penalty, well, there's still the penalty of losing the reward, right? So there's always this element of warning when the word of God is opened because it's a dangerous thing, danger, to ignore the words of the living God. So be warned as we are listening to the word of God. It's your job, another application, it's your job as a, as a member of the church, uh, as, as, a, as a member of this congregation, to maintain the purity of sound doctrine within the church. That belongs to you. Galatians is, the book of Galatians is a rebuke to the church for allowing false teaching, and, and it's to the church. You don't see them saying, uh, Paul is not, is not yelling at the elders. Now, the elders are responsible as well, and Titus and Timothy talk about their responsibility, but Paul's strong words in the book of Galatians are directed to the churches, to the congregation. And that means it's your responsibility, if we're looking at a verse like this, to take the long look theologically, to consider, okay, we're making a little change now. But where is this going to go? Where does this, where does this change lead? Does it lead to, to a healthier, more biblically faithful congregation where the gospel is displayed with its beauty and pointedness? Or does it lead to a flatter gospel testimony, less significant, less in, um, adorned, less faithful uh, to the word as it has been given to us. Applications are many. I struggle to even know uh, how, to, how to limit them. Uh, let's actually look in, this, in the rest of this chapter, see if we can find a few applications. Proverbs 22, verses 4 and 5. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far away from them. You can already see how the ideas of, of Proverbs 22.3 are present in 
Proverbs 22, 4 and 5. Humility, honest living on one side are commended as bringing about honor, riches, life. And on the other side, snares and pitfalls. So we know which one to avoid, right? We know how to respond. We know how to seek refuge. And this happens not only on the, on the individual level, but also on the corporate level. We are called as members of one another within a congregation to watch over one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's a warning. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls. So love would say, bring those things up. Have that difficult conversation. Love one another enough to to be a warning to one another. So our, our moral life is affected by prudence. Not just our moral life, uh, but also our family life. Look at verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. In the book of Proverbs, there are really only two ways, and that's why our, our translations say supply the word the way they should go. Start children off on the way they should go, the way that he ought to go. Because there are really only two ways. If you give them over to their own way, well, they might get stuck in that way too. But that's the danger. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of instruction drives it far away. There's danger. And the prudent see that danger on behalf of the child and use the means that God has given as a refuge, as an escape from that danger. Now, of course, one of the uh, hardest realities of being a parent is to recognize that each one of my boys has a has a responsibility on his own before the Lord. There is a connection or not between each of those boys and the Lord that I cannot create, I cannot bring about. That's the Lord's sovereign hand in the the life of my kiddos. And that that drives me to prayer, right? Because if it's it's up to the Lord, then the Lord, you, you do what only you can do. And yet there's a responsibility that's brought up in this proverb that we have have a warning that children are going to go off on their own way. And we have a responsibility to lead them in the one way that they should go. We have a responsibility within our family to provide structure and consistency and safety and civilization. This proverb should not be understood as a promise. Even when they are old, they will not turn from it. But you should feel entitled to pray for this. Lord, the way that we are training our children 
please, Lord, you've got to do this. But would you be so kind to cause what we are training our children with to stick so that even when they are old, they will not turn from it? Neglect is going to lead to disaster. If you are simple-minded in your parenting, and you're leading your child into disaster. Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, recently, I think, uh, last, last part of last year, the president of Kenya actually brought up uh, this, this proverb in, in a public setting, uh, talking about the need to reduce national debt. So that's, that's a little bit of a taste of what uh, Kenya is like, is often you will find, uh, find the, the president doing things like that, which, of course, the culturally Christian crowd really appreciates. And that's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a president who has, a, has at least something of his mind and policy uh, shaped by the scriptures. But my, my point this morning is not so much national policy, but personal Money life. There's a disaster ahead for, for the borrower, isn't there? Slavery. The borrower is servant to the lender. The advent of easy credit in Kenya for individuals has not been universally a blessing. In fact, we've seen this, uh, this verse played out even to the point where where the debtors feel like they have nothing to live for. They're so buried in debt that they feel that the only escape is to end their life. Disaster. Calamity. What's the solution? Solution is the same for all of us. Live within your means. Work hard to... to Develop a, a cushion. Save, save, save. Buy insurance. I don't know if anyone here sells insurance. We have a lot of, uh, of members in our congregation who are in the uh, insurance sector at, uh, at Emmanuel Baptist. Actuaries and insurance salesmen, mathematicians, all these folks. So, so too... To promote insurance would be a really popular thing for me to to say. And yet, it's often very difficult. Uh, When you're living at subsistence level, the the level of sacrifice that's entailed is so, so steep. Uh, What we would often just consider as part of the budget, a small percentage even, is uh, is a crippling expense. And so the, the typical response is your, your social network is your insurance. The people you know, your family, your, ne- your, your friends, your, your, your bigger uh, clan or, or tribe are, are, there to, uh, are there to help. That's what they are there for. They are there to help. And so it's important on our side, as, as folks get their feet under them, uh, to recognize that there's a need for a shift. You can actually love your neighbor. Love the people who are going to be bailing you out in an emergency. 
by planning ahead for an emergency, by grabbing that insurance policy or saving. Look with me quickly at Proverbs chapter 6. While this is relevant in the, in the context in which I teach and serve, I think some, it's, it's relevant for, for all of us. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, no one cracking the whip. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. There's disaster. There's calamity. See it. Keep your eyes in your head and take refuge in good hard work. The the Lord invented the ant as a prudent animal who stores up in summer and works hard at the harvest to gather its food. Discomfort now can result in joy then. You see the complexity there? When you're you're putting money away in savings or, or buying that insurance policy, there's some discomfort now, right? And so it may feel like, well, I've only exchanged the dangers. I've only exchanged the calamities for a right now calamity versus a later calamity, an unforeseen calamity. Is it really wise and prudent to invest now? in order to be prepared for that. Well, you have to evaluate your own, uh, your own situation, but this proverb would teach us to look ahead to disaster and prepare for it. Not in a way that's worried or anxious, but a way that's wakeful and active. Take refuge. But the complexity of this situation for insurance actually brings up a, another way of looking at, this, at looking at this proverb. As we consider two options, a little discomfort now and joy then, or even great discomfort now for joy then. The Lord Jesus himself was a master of prudence, as I said, all the treasures of wisdom and insight are found in him. So you see him throughout his ministry outmaneuvering his enemies, outmaneuvering the Pharisees and and Sadducees. He was always two steps ahead of them. As long as it wasn't his hour, he was always able to escape whatever machinations they had in mind. Turn with me to John 12. John chapter 12. See an example of the way the Lord displays his prudence.
I'll start in verse 20. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to it. So we see in this passage, Jesus evaluating two options, don't we? And he's, he's looking ahead to two dangers. And what is he going to do? Which danger will he choose? Here's the, here are the two dangers. The first danger is the seed dying. If it, dies, it produce, if it dies, it produces many seeds. So the, he's looking ahead to the hour of his crucifixion, the hour where he drinks the cup of God's wrath. That's danger. That's calamity. That's disaster. You could not, you cannot be a godly person and fail to shake in your boots at enduring the wrath of God. Jesus feared the Lord. He knew what it was to endure the wrath of God, to drink the cup of the wrath of God unmixed and down to the dregs. That's fearful. That's, that's a disaster. But here, actually, he has an even greater disaster that he looks at. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour, verse 27 says. So on the other side, he sees another danger. That Christmas and, uh, and Easter, Good Friday, would all be empty. That there, would, that there would never have been any Good Friday. That there would never have been any cross work. And so on one side, he has the infinite wrath of Almighty God. And on the other side, and this is the way that the prudent Jesus considers the dangers in front of him, this is a greater danger to him, that he would have a useless incarnation. The greatest danger for him is an unhonored father and an unredeemed people. 
That's the big danger. And so he took on himself the wrath of God. He paid the penalty so that he could be our refuge, so that we could find our hiding place in him. So this proverb has import not just for family life and money life, but for our very eternal lives. Jesus paid the penalty to become our refuge. So take refuge in Christ. If you're, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, let me exhort you. The wrath of God is coming. You may not even have categories for ungodliness and wickedness. And that actually doesn't change the position that you're in. Let me plead with you to seek refuge. Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 talk about hiding ourselves, finding refuge from the wrath of God. And that refuge is found in one and only one place, this kernel of wheat. This Jesus who died and produces many seeds. This Jesus who has obeyed his Father to the uttermost, perfect life of obedience and perfect, sufficient payment for our sins. This is the only refuge, friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you... Uh, know the Lord, then consider. Consider this application of this sermon. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Because we recognize that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men, because we know that there is an absolute standard and each one of us falls short, the love of Christ constrains us to be ambassadors to Christ, ambassadors of Christ, to seek, to, to seek those who would be reconciled to God. I, saw, uh, I heard an example of this uh, last night. We were with the, the Tisons and she, uh, Kristen had an opportunity to, um, to witness to a, uh, a neighbor. And she, she, there were circumstances around the, the testimony, the opportunity that she had to, uh, to witness that it, it seemed like maybe her neighbor was going to be moving and still might move. And so she said, we've had this friendship, we've had this, uh, we've been neighbors for some time, I don't want it to go to waste. You see that Christ-like evaluation in her mind, there's two dangers. There's a danger of me embarrassing myself in front of this person. and There's a danger of like an awkward conversation. And then the other danger is this friendship is going to go to waste. You know, the sovereign Lord put, Christi put Kristen in that position to witness to her neighbor. And for Kristen, the danger was, I'm not, I'm not going to let that go to waste. But... Uh, that, what an example of, of taking a, Proverbs, a proverb like this and reaching out in love. Grab that book um, by Max Stiles on evangelism that Pastor Mark just, uh, just mentioned. 
Uh, there you will find, I believe, a, a book that will exhort you not to think of this as just your own thing. You are not the only one who is involved in this unbeliever's life. Team up. Find friends. Recognize that you may be the one who plants the seed and someone else may be there to harvest. In fact, it really doesn't matter who in this congregation is recognized as the person who led so-and-so to the Lord. They might not even know. I don't know. The Lord is the one who grants the growth. So team up together. Be ambassadors of Christ in this community. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, Colossians 4 verse 6 says. Make the most of the opportunity. Finally, one of the reasons that I picked this uh, proverb, Proverbs 22.3, one of the reasons that I picked this proverb uh, was it was mentioned uh, in passing uh, by, by Pastor Mark as he was uh, talking on last Sunday night about warning passages in the New Testament. And the warning passage that he, he mentioned was, uh, was 1 Corinthians 15. And one of the things that he said is for, for God's people, for those who fear the Lord, for the prudent, those warnings will have an effect of being God's means of keeping you in the faith. You see a warning like in, Prob- or in 1 Corinthians 15 or Colossians chapter 1 or Hebrews 10. You see a warning like that, and, you, and the prudent will see danger and take refuge. Let's, let's take a, a quick look, before I close, uh, at Hebrews 10. This is just, just one of, of literally millions of warnings um, in this world that we can come to, and yet I think this is one of the most significant out of all of the millions of applications of this text. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read verses uh, 32 through 39, and we'll uh, discuss briefly and then, and then close. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you had yourselves a better and lasting possession. That's faith, right? Faith that says, I'm okay with losing my stuff in this world. Faith that says, okay, the the Lord is going to come and destroy this world, and this world is where I keep all my stuff but that's okay because we have a better possession and a lasting one. That's faith. And yet there's a warning here as well, isn't it? So do not, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. I will be, it will be richly rewarded. 
You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Now notice the author's confidence in his audience. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You see in his mind, a warning to a warning about judgment to come, a exhortation to persevere in the faith is not contradictory with a genuine and lasting hope in eternal things. Those are not in conflict with each other. They belong right together. These warnings like these are intended to help those who fear the Lord, to help the prudent, to keep pushing on in the faith, to maintain their refuge, not in ceremony, not in the strength of their confession for sin or the number of times or the number of tears in the confession of sin. Their hope and their refuge is in the one true and living God and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is their one refuge. They do not shrink back and seek other refuges and find in the end themselves destroyed. But instead, they have faith and are saved. They have found the true refuge who will indeed hold us fast. So let me leave you then with that exhortation. As as you're reading through the pages of the New Testament and come across warnings like this. The prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple go on ahead and pay the penalty. Watch out or pay up. Let's pray. Lord, we come to a text like this with trepidation. It is a fearful thing to come into the hands of the living God, and yet you are our only refuge. You are both the storm and the refuge in the storm. So I pray, Lord, that you would grant by your Spirit a deep confidence in this congregation, that each member of the congregation would maintain that steadfast confidence in Christ, our refuge. I pray that we would find in days to come, in millennia to come, each one here gathered around the throne, praising the Lamb who was our refuge. We pray this in his name. Amen.